Good morning. My name is Christelle, and I will be your conference operator this morning. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Danaher Corporation's second quarter 2021 earnings results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question at that time, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key on your telephone keypad. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Matt Gugino, Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Gugino, you may begin your conference. Thanks, Christelle. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the call. With us today are Reiner Blair, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Matt McGrew, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. I'd like to point out that our earnings release, the slide presentation supplementing today's call, and the reconciliations and other information required by SEC Regulation G relating to any non-GAAP financial measures provided during the call are all available on the investor section of our website, www.danaher.com, under the heading Quarterly Earnings. The audio portion of this call will be archived on the investor section of our website later today under the heading Events and Presentations and will remain archived until our next quarterly call. A replay of this call will also be available until August 5, 2021. During the presentation, we will describe certain of the more significant factors that impacted year-over-year performance. The supplemental materials describe additional factors that impacted year-over-year performance. Unless otherwise noted, all references in these remarks and supplemental materials to company-specific financial metrics refer to results from continuing operations and relate to the second quarter of 2021, and all references to period-to-period increases or decreases in financial metrics are year-over-year. We may also describe certain products and devices which have applications submitted and pending for regulatory, certain regulatory approvals or are only available in certain markets. During the call, we'll be making forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities law, including statements regarding events or developments that we believe or anticipate will or may occur in the future. These forward-looking statements are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those set forth in our SEC filings and actual results might differ materially from any forward-looking statements that we make today. These forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made, and we do not assume any obligation to update any forward-looking statements except as required by law. As a result of the size of the Cytiva acquisition and its impact on Danaher's overall core revenue growth profile, we are presenting core revenue on a basis that includes Cytiva sales. References to core revenue growth include Cytiva sales in the calculation of period-to-period sales growth. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Reiner. Well, thanks, Matt, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate you joining us on the call today. We're very pleased with our strong start to the year with another terrific result in the second quarter. We saw broad-based strength across the portfolio, which helped us deliver over 30% core revenue growth, more than 70% adjusted earnings per share growth, and outstanding free cash flow generation. This well-rounded performance is a testament to the positioning of our portfolio and our exceptional team who are committed to leading and executing with the Danaher business system every day. During the second quarter, 
we continued to strengthen our competitive advantage through significant high-impact organic growth investment and enhanced our portfolio with strategic growth accelerating acquisitions. We prioritized innovation across Danaher and increased our production capabilities, all of which we believe contributed to the market share gains in several of our businesses. We also announced our pending acquisition of Aldebaran, which will expand our presence into the fast-growing and important frontier of genomic medicine. Putting it all together, we believe the combination of our leading portfolio and DBS-driven execution differentiates Danaher today and provides a strong foundation for sustainable long-term outperformance. So with that, let's turn to our second quarter results. Our sales were $7.2 billion, and we delivered core revenue growth of 31.5%, with strong contributions from all three of our reporting segments. Geographically, high-growth markets grew nearly 35%, and developed markets were up more than 25%. Revenue in each of our three largest markets, North America, Western Europe, and China, was up 30% or more in the quarter. Our gross profit margin increased by 710 basis points to 60.9%, primarily due to higher sales volumes, the favorable impact of higher margin product mix, and the impact of prior year purchase accounting adjustments related to the Cytiva acquisition that did not repeat in 2021. Our operating profit margin increased to 27.8%, including 775 basis points of core operating margin expansion, primarily as a result of higher gross margin and continued lower operating expense as travel and other related costs remain below pre-pandemic levels. Adjusted diluted net earnings per common share of $2.46 were up 71% compared to 2020. We generated $1.8 billion of free cash flow in the quarter, up over 40% year over year. In June, we announced our intention to acquire Aldebron, a producer of high-quality plasma DNA, mRNA, and protein-serving academic, biotechnology, and pharmaceutical customers. The addition of Aldebron will expand our capabilities into the important field of genomic medicine, where we're seeing the accelerated adoption of gene and cell therapies, DNA and RNA vaccines, and gene editing technologies. We anticipate Aldebron will be accretive to Danaher on multiple levels, as we expect the business to generate $500 million of revenue in 2022, with more than 20% annual revenue growth and a strong margin profile. We look forward to welcoming this incredibly talented and innovative team to Danaher once the transaction closes. In addition to announcing the Aldebron acquisition, we also accelerated several organic growth investments across the portfolio. One of our core values at Danaher is innovation defines our future. And we have made a significant commitment toward our research and development efforts, increasing our research and development spend by more than 30% year over year to bring more 
impactful solutions to our customers. At SIEX, we launched the Xenotop 7600, a high-resolution, accurate mass spectrometry system that enables scientists to identify, characterize, and quantify molecules at previously undetectable levels, helping to advance the development of new biotherapeutics and precision diagnostics. At Beckman Coulter Diagnostics, we recently introduced the DXA 5006, a compact automation solution designed for small and mid-sized laboratories that reduces up to 80% of the manual steps typically required for sample preparation. These are just a few great examples of how we're continuing to invest for growth across Danaher to support our customers and enhancing our competitive advantage through innovation. Additionally, we're making substantial investments to expand capacity across our bioprocessing businesses and Cepheids. Near term, these investments are supporting existing customer demand, driven by both the market and meaningful share gains, but they're equally important to support the long-term growth of these businesses. Where we see tremendous runway ahead, even the underlying structural growth drivers in the markets they serve. We expect our total capital expenditures across Danaher to be approximately $1.5 billion in 2021 as we continue to invest in support of our customers' needs today and well into the future. We believe the strategic combination of these organic and inorganic investments across our portfolio will reinforce our competitive advantage and accelerate our growth trajectory going forward. Now let's go into more detail on our quarterly results across the segment. Life Sciences reported revenue increased 41.5%, with core revenue up 35%. This growth was broad-based, with most of our major businesses in the platform delivering 30% or better core growth. We continued to see strong demand for our bioprocessing solutions with combined core revenue growth of more than 40% at Cytiva and Paul Biotech. Our non-COVID-related bioprocessing business was up low double digits, where we saw robust customer activity and order rates. COVID-related vaccine and therapeutic revenues were consistent with the first quarter and exceeded $1 billion over the first six months of the year. So I'd be remiss if I didn't take a moment to reflect on Cytiva's fantastic first year as part of Danaher. We've established a new company with a new brand name, added more than 1,500 associates, and made substantial progress in the transition to Danaher, all while maintaining world-class support of our customers, significantly ramping production capacity and growing revenues by more than 50%. When we announced the acquisition, we talked about the strategic and value creation opportunities we saw, and we're excited to welcome such a talented and engaged team to Danaher. I think it's fair to say they've exceeded our expectations in every way, and that's really a testament to the Cytiva team who've embraced Danaher and the Danaher business system and continued to execute exceptionally in support of our customers. Moving to diagnostics, reported revenue was up 40.5% and core revenue grew 37%, led by more than 50% core growth at Cepheid. Beckman Diagnostics 
and like a biosystem, each grew more than 30% as patient volumes and clinical diagnostic activity approached pre-pandemic levels around the world. At Cepheid, growth outside of respiratory testing was led by our sexual health and hospital-acquired infection assays, particularly among newly acquired Cepheid customers. In respiratory testing, we believe we continued to gain market share as expanded manufacturing capacity enabled the team to produce and ship approximately 14 million cartridges in the quarter. As expected, COVID-only tests accounted for approximately 80% of these shipments, while our four-in-one combination tests for COVID-19, flu A, flu B, and RSV represented approximately 20%. This broad-based performance across Cepheid was driven by the team's thoughtful and solid-based expansion over the last 15 months, and is evidence of the significant value Cepheid provides to clinicians with the unique combination of fast, accurate lab quality results and the best-in-class, easy-to-use workflow at the point of care. Moving to our environmental and applied solutions segment. Reported revenue grew 15.5%, and core revenue was up 13%. Revenue growth accelerated across both platforms, with water quality up high single digits and product identification up approximately 20% in the quarter. In our water quality businesses, demand for analytical chemistries and consumables was driven by improving activity across municipal, chemical, food, and beverage end markets. Equipment order rates accelerated as customers got back up and running and began to invest in larger projects. In product identification, VideoJet was up mid-teens, and our packaging and color management businesses were up more than 25% in the quarter. This acceleration reflected a broad-based recovery with growth across most major geographies and and end market. So with that as a backdrop for what we saw this quarter, let's spend some time going through trends geographically and across our end market. Looking at conditions around the world, most major regions and countries have broadly returned to or are approaching normal operations. This is reflected in the strong results we've seen across the U.S., <coughs> Europe, and China. That said, we're mindful of the emerging COVID-19 variants driving further outbreaks and have taken actions to help minimize the potential impact on our respective businesses. And at this point, we've seen no material impact from recent variants or selective lockdowns. We saw positive momentum across our businesses with order growth trending above revenue growth. Most of our end markets have largely recovered with growth rates at or above pre-pandemic levels as customers have adopted uh, to the uh, new uh, environment. In-person commercial activity continues to re rebound, and we're seeing our teams spend more time on site with their customers, a trend we expect to continue as we move through the year. Across life sciences, we're seeing healthy demand in most of our end markets, led by biopharma where the pace of customer activity remains elevated. 
Biotech funding levels are robust, and the number of life-saving biologic and genomic-based therapies in development and production continues to rise, and is further augmented by the work around COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutics. Today, there are over 1,500 monoclonal antibody-based therapies in development globally, which is more than 50% increase from just five years ago. We also see over 1,000 gene therapy candidates in development today, a tenfold increase over the last several years as these technologies mature and therapies gain regulatory approval. Given that many of these candidates are still in early stage research, we expect the growth rate of this market to remain strong for many years to come. In addition to the growth in biologics and genomic-based medicines, there is significant demand related to COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutics, both on the market and in development today. Given the interest we're seeing from customers looking to address emerging variants and increased global supply, as well as evolving vaccination guidelines globally, we expect to see durable growth in this segment of the biopharma market for the foreseeable future. At the current pace of vaccination, it's clear that vaccine demand will continue well into next year. We expect to recognize $2 billion in COVID-related vaccine and therapeutic revenue in 2021 and anticipate entering 2022 with approximately $1.5 billion in COVID-related backlog. These assumptions do not include the potential contribution from booster shots or an expansion of availability to populations under 12-year-old due to the level of uncertainty around each of these scenarios. Given the growing numbers of drugs being developed and the increasing scientific sophistication required to discover and manufacture these complex therapies, customers are looking to partner with vendors who can reliably supply them with solutions for their most challenging problems as they move from the lab to production scale. Our comprehensive bioprocessing portfolio and scientific expertise positions us well to do just that. And we're confident our proactive investments in innovation and capacity will help us meet this growing customer demand now and far into the future. In the clinical diagnostics market, patient volumes are at or near pre-pandemic levels in most major regions as patients are returning for wellness checks, routine screenings, and other elective procedures. In molecular diagnostics, while PCR respiratory testing volumes in the U.S. have declined, we're seeing persistent demand for Cepheus testing at the point of care. Outside of the U.S., which makes up approximately half of Cepheus revenue, we continue to see strong demand for our testing as vaccination rates lag and emerging variants drive outbreaks. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we shipped approximately 14 million respiratory tests during the second quarter, up from 10 million shipped in the first quarter, and we now expect to ship approximately 50 million tests in 2021. Looking ahead, with the assumption that COVID-19 will be an endemic disease, we believe that the point-of-care molecular respiratory testing market will expand significantly from where it was prior to the pandemic. And given Cepheus' leading positioning around speed, accuracy, and the ease-of-use workflow advantages, we believe, 
will continue to gain market share. The combination of these market share gains, the expansion of Cepheus' leading global installed base, and the broadest molecular diagnostic test menu on the market creates significant opportunities ahead for broader utilization and demand for Cepheus' point-of-care molecular testing solutions. Moving to the applied markets, we're seeing a continuation of the steady improvement over the first half of the year. Customer activity is accelerating in line with broader economic activity, which we see in healthy order rates for consumables and increasing investments in equipment. Across municipal markets globally, consumables demand remains solid as customers continue to test and treat water, and instrument-oriented project activity is accelerating with the improving funding environment. Now let's look ahead to our expectations for the third quarter and the full year. We expect to deliver third quarter core revenue growth in the mid to high teens range. We anticipate high single digit core revenue growth in our base business and a high single digit core growth contribution from COVID related revenue tailwinds. Additionally, we expect to generate operating profit fall-through of approximately 40% in the third quarter and for the remainder of 2021. For the full year 2021, we now expect to deliver approximately 20% core revenue growth. We anticipate that COVID-related revenue tailwinds will be an approximately 10% contribution to the core revenue growth rate. And in our base business, we now expect that core revenue will be up 10% for the full year, an increase from our prior expectation of high single digits. So to wrap up, we've had a great start to the year, and we've seen meaningful opportunities across Danaher to build upon this outstanding performance. Our second quarter results reiterate the power of our portfolio and our exceptional team, a unique combination that differentiates Danaher today and provides a strong foundation for sustainable, long-term outperformance. And with that, back to you, Matt. Thanks, Ryder. That concludes our formal comments. Christelle, we're now ready for questions. Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. Your first question comes from the line of Tycho Peterson with J.P. Morgan. Hey, good morning. Uh, congrats on the quarter. Ryder, I think one of the uh, you know debates around the stock uh, is still around the testing outlook, and in particular around 2022 for I know you came out of you know the first quarter and talked about the fact you thought trends would be you know sustainable heading into next year. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about you know what what you're seeing in the field, how you're thinking about variance in the near term, and you know what gives you confidence in the outlook for 2022? Obviously, you're more in hospital; it's PCR, not antigen, so we get all those dynamics. But I think there's still some debate as to whether you know testing could drop off more significantly next year. Thanks. Sure, Ty. Good morning, and thank you for for that question. Look, as we think about uh, the remainder of 2021 and, and, and how that sets us up for 2022, just a couple things to, to sort of set the baseline here. First of all, we, we now expect to ship 50 million tests uh, in, in 2021 uh, for COVID, uh, either 
COVID only or four and one, and that's that we've taken that up from the, the 45 million uh, test guide before. And the confidence that, that we gain here is really through what we've seen. As we've wrapped up, as we've ramped up our capacity here uh, and shipped 14 million cartridges in Q2, you'll recall we originally expected uh, to ship 11 uh, million in Q2, 50% of that outside of the U.S., 50% of that uh, inside the U.S. Um, that really has given us the confidence um, that there's still plenty of demand for our solution uh, at the point of care. And here's why. We're, we're really not perceiving a slowdown currently in our testing demand, and, and we're shipping everything that we're producing. So while it's true that we see uh, lab, core lab tests uh, trending downward, we continue to see uh, strength in the demand for our testing solution. The other thing that uh, we are considering here is, is we're, we're a bit concerned about some of the RSV breaks breakouts that we're seeing um, in the U.S., but also elsewhere in the world, which makes us think that we'll start seeing testing skew more towards the 4-in-1 solution, which, of course, tests for RSV in addition to flu A, B, uh, and COVID-19. So as we think about uh, where we sit today, uh, we feel comfortable that we'll see, uh, you know, 50 million tests this year, and we don't have anything that would indicate that our previous guide for 45 million uh, uh, tests in 2022 uh, would be materially different. We continue to see uh, plenty of opportunity. Keep in mind, we've increased our installed base by 40% since the installation, since the beginning of the, the pandemic, uh, and of course have the largest testing menu um, with 30-plus tests in, outside the U.S. and 20-plus tests um, uh, in the U.S. So we feel, we feel strongly that that uh, demand should be available to us, once again, because of that unique value proposition at the point of care. Okay, that's, that's super helpful. Uh, and then a follow-up on Aldebaran. Uh, you know, I think you, you mentioned uh, when we, we spoke uh, on the deal that you've been looking at this asset for about five years. Can you just talk a little bit about how you're thinking about synergies? Um, you know, I know there's capacity expansion that's coming online next year, so if you could talk to that. And then I think to get to, you know, a half a point of growth, the implied growth rate is closer to 35%, you know, and definitely greater than 20 but I'm just curious how you're thinking about the growth outlook and, and synergies with Paul and Saitiva in particular. You know, as we look at Aldevron, we really see it as our entry into the genomic medicine market and are seeing it really as a standalone in that regard, specifically with plasma DNA, proteins, and mRNA, and are really not looking uh, uh, initially here at, at synergies related uh, to Cytiva or Paul. There's plenty of opportunity inside that scope to invest, expand capacities, uh, in the existing uh, product uh, lineup, as well as to globalize that, the great majority of Aldevron's revenues uh, are, are actually in the U.S., so we see uh, great opportunities uh, to uh, globalize that. And, and, you know, from a growth perspective, you know, like we said, this is uh, in 2022 going to be a half a billion dollar uh, business growing at, at 20%, adding about 50 basis points uh, to, Dan to Danaher's overall uh, growth profile, as well as adding, you know, 20 cents of EPS and, 
in year one and 30% at 30 cents EPS uh, in year two. Yeah, and, and Tyco, I mean, they, they, they had a little bit better growth historically than, than kind of that 20%, but I think, again, just sort of from our perspective for, you know, to be prudent from a planning perspective, that's sort of what we've laid out. I think we've, uh, we've had a lot of success with, with, with that type of um, setting up, if you will, for, for acquisitions in the past. That's sort of why we, we've kind of come to there versus where they have been a little bit more historically higher. Okay, that, that's helpful. And then just before I hop off, uh, Matt, can you just comment on uh, the bioprocessing order book? I think you said bioprocessing up 40%. I assume that was revenues. Was What was the order book up? It was north of 60. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tyco. Your next question comes from the line of Derek DeBruin with Bank of America. Hey, this is Mike Ruskin on for Derek. Um, Hi, Mike. Question. Hey, guys. Uh, a couple quick ones, just to clarify on the COVID contribution for the fiscal year. It sounds like you're still you're you're saying 10%, which is roughly unchanged from prior, but you're seeing a lot more cartridges coming out. Um, the four-in-one solution should have, you know, some better pricing uh, if you're going to that versus the the COVID only. And the the COVID vax is doing better, and the order book is strong. So, are there some other moving pieces there, or is this just some uh, some uncertainty back half of the year? I just sort of want to reconcile that. Yeah, no, I think um, the way to think about the COVID tailwinds is we sort of took up the, the number for the full year, Mike, um, and I think what I would kind of talk or think about that is that, you know, most of that is the $200 million better cartridge performance that we saw here in Q2 sort of rolling through for the full year. So if you think about the COVID contributions, I mean, I think we're up, you know, $200 million versus where we thought we would be. All of that is just going to be sort of rolling that, that Q2 beat through to the full year. Um, for, for, for the COVID side. As far as the 4 and one goes, um, as we think about the contribution kind of going forward, we still think Q3 is probably going to be pretty close to what we saw here in Q2, which was, you know, 80% uh, of that was, was COVID only, 20% was the 4 and one um, Given what Reiner said, you know, and what we saw last year as well, uh, but what Reiner said around the RSV sort of outbreak here that we're seeing in the South, um, you know, we think we might have a little bit of a different or more of a respiratory season than we did last year. Um, so sort of as we move forward, we, we, we're sort of thinking Q4, that split moves more to a, kind of a 50-50, you know, 60-40. We'll, we'll see where it comes out, but something more like that uh, in the fourth quarter. Okay, thanks. And then uh, could you comment a little bit on um, – in instrument trends in some of the analytical markets, I didn't get a clean uh, SIEX number. Could you just talk a little bit about what you're seeing in LCMS markets uh, as far as base business recovery, you know? Sure. Uh, uh, we, uh, if we start with the topic of, you know, customer activity uh, in these analytical markets, they're really at or, or very near pre-pandemic levels. Uh, with the underlying recovery well underway. And we're seeing that customers adapting readily to, you know, the new work environment uh, that we're in um, there where it's still necessary or are fully back to normal uh, where the infection rates are really low. So that, that manifests itself in, you know, better order rates. Our funnels are stronger. You know, we see higher instrument and service sales. Uh, keep in mind, SIEX, uh, uh, you know, over over 30% uh, core growth here uh, in Q2, just as a marker. 
um, um, but really all of our uh, major life science operating companies were you know, at or over 30% core growth for the quarter. So we're seeing some very nice uh, momentum there. <clears throat> and, you know, if you look at the two-year growth stack there, we're, you know, we're really at or, or very near to pre-pandemic uh, growth rates. A lot of this is driven by more customer activity, but we also have to say in our instrument uh, areas and is a place where we have been accelerating R&D investments, and we've seen um, great traction for some of our new product introductions. I mentioned the Cyx Xenotop, but we've also introduced the 7500. And at Beckman Life Sciences, we introduced the Cytoflex benchtop cell sorter. So those are all things that contribute to what we think is, uh, is outperformance here uh, in the instrumentation market. Mike, just to give you a sense, outside of life sciences, just overall, equipment was up north of 20% and consumables were north of 30 So just to give you a sense of that, that's not all that different from what we saw elsewhere as well. Okay, great. One last quick one if I can squeeze it in. I think you called out CapEx of a billion and a half for the year. That's a pretty nice step up even with, uh, even with Cetiva and the numbers. Just wondering how much of that is specific to, uh, you know, more cartridges for Cepi for COVID or more on the bioprocessing side, and is this, a, is this a fair jumping off point for 22 and beyond? Thanks. Yeah, so I think, Mike, normally, even inclusive of Cepheid, you know, or, or Cytiva, we'd probably be more like $850 million in CapEx. So I think you can kind of size the delta on that billion and a half with that. Um, I would say that the, the preponderance of the increase um, that you're seeing there is going to be at, at Cepheid and Cytiva, as well as at Paul, um, you know, on the bioprocessing bio side. So those would be the three big ones that will be sort of driving that increase. I, I suspect you'll see that, obviously, this year. I suspect we might be at, at uh, something in between those two numbers, maybe, or at the higher end of that number, the 850 and the, and the billion and a half, as we head into next year. But I think over time that probably does start to come down uh, a touch, um, as we, you know, as we've talked about, we've been pulling forward um, a lot of the capacity increases that we were already planning for all of those businesses, just given the demand now, plus the longer-term secular growth drivers. So. Um, you know, this is, is sort of more of a pull forward um, is the way I think about it. And I think you'll have a little bit of a, a bullis here for, for a couple years and then probably uh, come back down to a lower landing level. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. Your next question comes from the line of VJ Kumar with Evercore ISI. Morning, VJ. Good morning, Reiner and team. Uh, congratulations on a, on a solid print this morning. Um, uh, maybe one on uh, uh, vaccines and uh, bioprocessing, Reiner. Uh, the, the commentary around backlog, exit backlogs, stepping up for the year uh, in light of uh, 2Q, uh, it, it, it feels like um, maybe um, the order, uh, you know, conversion, maybe that's stepping down in back half. Um, and and um, is that the right way? This is just more of a timing thing that we're thinking about on, on uh, the vaccine side when you think about the revenue cadence. Um, um, and then, uh, you know, X, X vaccines, when you think about base uh, bioprocessing, we just had a major, uh, you know, Alzheimer's drug approval. Uh, I'm curious what it does to either industry growth or perhaps uh, to your business. Okay. Well, let's start with, with bioprocess and, and how to think about that. So just a level set, we, we expect to do, and for vaccines and therapeutics this year, $2 billion uh, in revenue. And that's 
second half is going to be consistent with what you saw in the first half. And so the activity level remains elevated. And, you know, any D-cell that you're thinking about is purely related to comps. Um, and, you know, now more broadly speaking, speaking really for, for total Danaher, the Q2, Q3 prior year step up is over 1,000 basis points, right? So if you keep that in mind, I think that characterizes um, the activity level appropriately. We continue to see strength in vaccine and therapeutic orders. Matt just talked about it with Tyco, 40% plus on the revenue side in Q2, 60% plus uh, on the order side. So the activity level remains very high. And we expect that this will continue, which is why we're confident in talking about a billion and a half dollars of backlog for 2022, which, you know, sitting here on July 20th, looking forward, uh, is a good place for us to be. And it gives us, as you think about 2022, you know, a number of quarters to continue to strengthen that. So there's a great deal uh, going on in the vaccine and therapeutic space. Keep in mind, uh, the rollout that we've seen has been primarily a developed market story. We're starting now to see uh, some of the emerging market vaccine manufacturers <clears throat> kicking in and ramping up. You know, there, there's three in China, to, to say an example, another one uh, in Russia, of course, and several more, and they're just starting to kick in. So we expect that all to provide, you know, really some uh, sustained strength for some period of time. Yeah, BJ, maybe just at a 100,000-foot view, just to kind of think about um, that in each of the last five quarters in biotech, the bookings have been higher than revenue, and that was also true in Q2. Just to kind of, you know, there's all kinds of numbers and, and comps and everything else, but just to, you know, take a step back um, and just kind of keep that in mind as we, as we head into the second half here. Now, coming back to your Alzheimer drug question, uh, with Agihelm. So, for, first of all, you know, we can't comment specifically on, on any particular drug, but we're absolutely delighted to see that science and, and the pharmaceutical industry is making progress on this um, disease. Uh, Alzheimer's, as you know, afflicts so many uh, around the world, and there's a real uh, need for a solution. At this point, it's early days. As you know, uh, there's quite a bit of discussion around uh, the efficacy of the drug, uh, the tar size of the target population, reimbursement, and a number of other questions. But I might say that, you know, this is one drug. There are several others uh, that are in late uh, stage uh, uh, qualification and approval processes. And so we do see here um, this indication of Alzheimer's disease becoming more and more relevant uh, for monoclonal antibodies. Awfully early to say what impact it has, but we can say that with the breadth of our portfolio, the capability of our teams, uh, and the penetration that we have in the market, it's fair to say that we're represented on all of those projects and are confident that we can supply those should there be uh, an elevated need. That's helpful, uh, Reiner. Matt, one quick one for you. Appreciate you trying to simplify the numbers. Uh, a lot of numbers flying around, but, uh, you know, orders above revenues for five quarters. I think that's straightforward. Uh, margins for um, how, assuming mixes, uh, you know, ignoring the mix impact for 22, uh, any, any comments on margins or incremental margins for fiscal 22 as uh, expenses come back? 
DJ, I'd love to uh, to have the crystal ball for 22 for you, but I'm I'm uh, I'm just still hoping to get uh, get some insight into the second half. Frankly, I mean, you know, we are, um, you know, like you said, besides the mix, you know, we are starting to as we as we got into the quarter. I mean, we had pretty good fall through here in the quarter again, but. Um, you know, I, I, we are starting to see activity resume a little bit, especially late in the quarter. Um, you know, a little bit more travel activity, a little bit more kind of people, you know, doing person in-person things. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's, for, in my mind, it's a question of, it, there's two things. It's, it's when do the costs come back? Because I do believe we will have some costs come back. Uh, and and how, how fast that happens. So it's just really kind of balancing those two. And I think there's still enough uncertainty out there that that it's it's difficult to pin that down. I'm hoping that as we get into the fall uh, here, that we get a little bit more, um, you know, a bit more color on that, and, and and hopefully, you know, be able to provide a little bit more when we talk about 22 uh, later in the year. But I just, uh, unfortunately, I think it's a little early for us to to think about it. But um, you know, it's just uh, it's where we are today. Understood. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Scott Davis with Melius Research. Hi, Scott. Good morning, guys. Yeah. Good morning. Um, you got, I mean, I was really surprised. I thought you might mention labor and logistics costs and some challenges there, particularly in E and yeah. AS. Is, is, is there a meaningful impact on margins, you know, yeah. more broad-based than E and AS, if so? And just leave it at there. Yeah, no, it's 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 it's, uh, it's a fair point, Scott. I mean, we have definitely seen it. I think again, sim- similar to the travel, sort of as we've moved through the quarter, um, I think we are we are definitely seeing inflationary pressures here and supply chain pressures. I would say that right now for us, it is modest, uh, and we're able to manage through it. Um, some of that with with better price uh, on our side, and, and some of it just being able to uh, on the on on the daily work, if you will, from a DBS perspective. But we are definitely seeing that. We are seeing it. Uh, in resins, uh, in plastics, in, in, in metals, um, you know, again, not a huge part for us, but 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 we do see it where that happens. I think the two biggest pieces for us, Scott, are freight uh, is, is definitely a, a, an issue. Um, fewer cargo flights, obviously, uh, means it's a little bit more expensive to uh, move things by air. Um, and then I think, you know, as everybody has, has read and saw, electronics, particularly in the supply chain around the chips globally, has, has been um, a challenge for us as well. So, Again, haven't seen a material impact. I do believe that as we move forward into the second half, you know, that that, that probably uh, does not uh, abate. Uh, if anything, might might step up a little bit and uh, clearly a challenge here uh, for us. But so far, we've been able to work through it, um, you know, with, uh, with with some hard work and, and a little bit of price and, and some PPV. But does just to follow up on that, Matt, does, does times like this really make looking at things like on-time delivery kind of wonky and hard to even think, you know, uh, I mean, do you, can you still use that metric with any real sense of confidence, just or, since orders are so high? We 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 don't compromise on that. So uh, <laughs> I'll let I'll let my boss so, take so that one. The, the core value customers talk, we listen, and our focus on you know quality delivery and cost remains uh, our north star, um, and we drive our processes. And with that, anybody who's associated with us starting with our, what we can control internally, but also our supply partners who have been stepping up to the plate, uh, supporting us here, making the necessary investments. But we're not going to compromise on on-time delivery and meeting or exceeding our customers' expectations. 
Well, that's good to hear. Well, congrats, uh, guys, and congrats on a great start, uh, Reiner, and your CEO tenure. I'll pass it on. Thank you, Todd. Let's go. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Doug Schneckel. With Hi, Doug. Good morning. Uh, hey, good morning, team. Um, <clears throat> I, I just uh, I want to go back and, and try to kind of take a different angle on uh, some of the questions regarding uh, durability of um, growth when it comes to uh, you know all things post COVID. So uh, on Cepheid, um you know, the, there was an earlier question on the outlook for testing volume in 2022. As, as you, you've noted before, your, your gene expert install phase increased by about 40% since the beginning of the pandemic. You've also previously talked about your efforts to, you know, be as smart as you can uh, about where you place boxes. Essentially, the goal has been to, as much as possible, pull forward placements, um, you know, especially in areas of the world where you may have been under-indexed in an effort to make sure that these instruments are used durably over the long term. I, I was wondering if you could share some specific data on how you're having success with newer accounts driving utilization of these boxes for non-COVID-19 purposes. And additionally, is it, is it possible that there are some new assays coming over the coming quarters that might move you into additional testing categories that also boost your confidence in the outlook for durability. I ask because uh, right before the pandemic got going, we had picked up on some signs that there were some notable advancements being made on assay development initiatives, uh, including some of those talked about in the past by old Cepheid management, which would greatly increase the TAM for the company. You know, I, I think a lot of lingering concerns about this category would be further um, assuaged by um, you know, combining, uh, you know, what we saw in Q2, which was really strong, um, with the outlook for assay menu expansion and some positive signs in terms of what's going on with newer accounts. Thanks, thanks, Doug. And I think you're, you're you know, on to a, a, a strong point here, which is, and we saw this in Q2, but just a level set for, for everybody here on the phone, once again, we we've increased our installed base here since the beginning of the pandemic by 40% plus. Uh, and, and that's put thousands of, of instruments into places where they haven't been before. And we've tried to do that very strategically, always, of course, wanting to help with the COVID pandemic uh, and the near-term requirements and needs, but also looking beyond that to see whether those care settings would be able to use the menu that we have available today and the one that, of course, we develop every day in order to launch new assays. And we have seen that starting to play out in places where perhaps the, uh, the COVID need is not as strong and particularly at new customers. Uh, and, and that's manifested, for instance, in our sexual health or our hospital-acquired infections assays, which are up 30% plus uh, here in the second quarter and provide us with you know, an additional pillar of strength. And, and so we're very pleased with that, and we expect that to continue uh, here as we not only uh, make progress in the U.S., but uh, in the rest of the world. So very important point. Uh, the menu is gaining traction, and we're starting to see that play out here uh, in the second quarter and expect that to continue to be the case going forward. Now, as it relates to new assays, please know uh, that we are working on new assays every day, and you can expect us over time to continue to broaden that lead in menu breadth as well as depth uh, 
over over time. So that's absolutely a part uh, of our daily activity here. Okay, super helpful. Um, and then you know, hopping over to really the the, the Paul and the Cytiva side of the equation. Um, you know, as we've talked about a, a few times, you know, the the, the expected backlog heading into 22 um, is one and a half billion. Um, yeah, you know, the potential for upside, I think, seems pretty clear, specific to COVID. Yeah, you know, that, that said, there is still some investor uncertainty with regards to what happens if demand were to slow in this category. Um, a, a basic but important question, if, if demand were to slow for um, COVID-related products and services in this category, is it fair to say that you're comfortable that there is enough demand more broadly um, across biopharma to, to essentially compensate for that. I mean, our thinking has been, this has been an area where, um, you know, there just hasn't been enough good supply of products and services. And that's, you know, presented you with a fantastic opportunity to basically solve that problem. Even if the COVID demand were to slow, presumably you're still going to be able to, you know, essentially reallocate these products and services for other purposes. Is that a fair way of thinking about things? I think so, and and before we move on to you know the non-COVID strength out there, let's reiterate uh, in in relation to that backlog number that we talked about. You know what assumptions are in that, and and which assumptions are not in that number. So in that 1.5 billion dollar backlog, that's in addition to you know the two billion dollars that we're shipping this year. That includes all the you know, approved vaccines, whether those are approved in the U.S. and Europe or elsewhere, as well as those in late-stage trials, which you can imagine we're, we're very close to. Uh, so that's absolutely a part of how we're thinking about that. And it includes these emerging market vaccines uh, that I was talking about. But what it doesn't include is a booster shot. Uh, and we know from Israel, we know from the U.K., we know from China, uh, that those countries are now moving uh, to booster shots, but we have not assumed that uh, to be a part of our our numbers here, nor have we included, you know, the, the younger kids, 12 and under, uh, in a, maxima- a vaccination schedule, which you can imagine on a worldwide basis is a pretty big number. So we've kept that out, and, and, and we think that, you know, that's an appropriate assumption. Now, as we look to the non-COVID demand, which has consistently been uh, in the low double digits here, uh, with the one or the other quarter perhaps even above, we feel very confident that the number of projects in the pipeline, we talked about it, over 1,500 monoclonal antibodies uh, in the development pipeline, over 50% more than just five years ago. And then you add uh, related to that, you know, the uh, gene and cell therapies uh, and genomic medicines where you have over a 1,000 um, uh, projects in the pipeline, which is, you know, an order of magnitude more than just five years ago, we feel quite strongly that uh, the capacity utilization will remain very robust here uh, for the mid and long term. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. And your last question will come from the line of Dan Leonard with Wells Fargo. Hi, Dan. Uh, hello. Uh, so, so two, if I may, the first one on, on bioprocessing. You know, we're still hearing about supply shortages in the market for filters and such. When do you think we're going to see 
more of an equilibrium uh, when, when supply catches up with demand? And, and is there any change in your thinking on, on customer inventory dynamics around stocking and such? So um, let me start with this. I, I think that in general, there is a strong supply of, of filters, as you mentioned, perhaps single-use uh, uh, products and such in the market, um, and, and that there might be pockets where, you know, there's some shortages, but I, I think I would prescribe those to individual-type product shortages as opposed to a broad-based shortage as the industry, and particularly Danaher, has continued to ramp capacities uh, with some of the uh, investments that we made. So I think that uh, what the industry has been able to do is accompany the growth here and, and continue uh, to support that. Now, as it relates to your inventory question, you know, here we have been um, very, very uh, r rigorous in our interactions with our customers who, who we've asked and encouraged to give us their orders as early as possible, to give us the visibility that we need to ensure that they they get what they need. Uh, and as such, you know, we we don't believe that there's you know pockets of inventory that are sitting here uh, in the industry. You can you can never ignore that there might be one or two places that perhaps that might be the case, but it's really not material in the overall size uh, of the industry. So. We think that the industry is, is, is tight on supply. Um, everybody is working through it with each other. We with our customers with a great deal of visibility, but of course also with our suppliers who we mentioned earlier who have also had to ramp up to support us uh, in the value chain. Okay, that's helpful, Caller. And then my, my follow-up question is, is similar to, to VJ's earlier on the margin side. Could you perhaps maybe bridge the expense base today when you have these COVID sales tailwinds to a world where, you know, those tailwinds might abate? Are there any expenses that go away or just maybe the rate of expense increase starts to moderate? Thank you. So I think maybe the way to answer that is, you know, today we've been sort of seeing – in the last, I guess, five quarters, you know, our VCM has been kind of 50%. And as I look forward and think about the expenses coming back, and it's not just COVID, I, I, would, I, would, I would say it's kind of broadly speaking across the, the business, um, you know, we think it's going to start to ramp here in the second half and be in the sort of 40% fall through. And, and, and um, Dan, if you think about where we've been more historically, uh, it's probably been more like 35%. And so I think what we'll see is that the expenses, and, and, and here, here again the uncertainty and the timing is, is what I'm, I'm still not sure on, but I think what we'll see is that, um, you know, that, that expense base will come back a little bit more closer to that normal longer-term 35%. And part of that is, um, you know, not only, um, you know, are, are we – we're sort of – we're sort of seeing the benefits, I think, of the investment that we continue to make and we have been making um, in innovation and, and kind of go-to-market. And, and I think, um, you know, with that, you know, if you think about today, our base business uh, on a two-year stack, uh, you know, for this year is going to be 6 to 7, you know, percent core growth, which is 100 basis points plus uh, where we were in 2019. And so I think the investments that we're making, um, you know, are paying off on the growth side. And I think uh, both Reiner and myself are inclined to want to, kind of keep making those investments while recognizing that we're going to have some costs that, that come back as we 
know, get back to the office and we start to travel again. So maybe, Dan, the way to, to bridge it would be, you know, 50% today. I think it probably is a little bit more like 40 in the second half. And, and over time, I think it probably is something more like 35% if, if I had to guess. Okay. That, that's helpful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. We have reached the allotted time for questions. I would like to turn the call back over to Mr. Gugino for closing remarks. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this morning, uh, and we we're around all day for questions. Take care. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. <laughs>